Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. Today is the last sermon in our study through the book of Joshua. Have you guys enjoyed the book of Joshua? Hasn't this series just been so life-giving and incredible? The theme of the series has been living for a legacy, that God wants for us to live a life that matters, to live a life that counts, and to live a life that makes a difference. God wants for each and every one of us with our lives to leave a legacy. This series has been a, a vision series for us at the church because right now at Redemption, we literally are in a Joshua season where God is moving us from where we're at to where he wants us to be. That's the big idea for the message today. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down, that God wants to move you from where you are at to where he wants you to be. That's the story of Joshua. When we meet Joshua, it's in actually the book of Numbers. He's an assistant to Moses. He's a warrior. He's a soldier, and he is in the wilderness He's wandering through the wilderness. That's where we meet him. That's where he starts at. But how many of you know that's not where he finishes at? Joshua doesn't finish in the wilderness. And you may feel like you're in a wilderness season in your life, but I want you to know that God is not finished with you. In fact, God is just getting started with you because God's dream is to move you from where you're at to where he wants you to be. That's the story of Joshua. That's the story of you. And that's actually the story for us here as a church. That as a church, God is moving us from where we're at to where he wants us to be. This is uh, our story here at Redemption. Me and my wife, Ashley, five years ago, we moved back to Beaumont, Texas with a a dream and a burden and a vision to start a new life-giving, gospel-centered church in the heart of Beaumont, a church for people who have given up on church. That's the church that we dreamed of. And five years ago, we started praying and believing, but we didn't have anything. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a building. We didn't have any people, and we didn't even have a clue. But yet we just kept praying and people kept showing up. And so we started this church five years ago and as a small group in Old Town. And as the church kept growing, we began to just meet in different places. We actually had a, a news article uh, about us on, uh, on the, the news. We were called the Nomad Church, church without a building, church that just moves around from place to place. And we were the Nomad Church. We met in coffee shops. We met in restaurants. We met at other churches. We met in people's houses. But we didn't have anywhere to start the church for ourselves. It's kind of like our wilderness season. Just like, just like Joshua and Caleb and Moses just wandering through the wilderness, nomads. We were the nomad church when we first got started, but eventually we found a place to have the grand opening. We started our church in a bar. That's right. Our church started in a bar. People like, church in a bar? That's exactly why no one came for the first three years of our church. 
But God was so good to us. God was so faithful. He continued to bless us until eventually that business closed down. It was time for us to move. We became nomadic again, and we moved into this old warehouse that we now call home. God has been so good to us over these past five years. So let me just share with you just what God has done over the last couple of years here for us as a church. In the five years, redemption has been in existence. We have baptized 223 people (laughs) baptized here in our church. They're all right outside on that. We have given hundreds of thousands to missions every year. We have a pledge that we give 10% of anything that comes in goes directly out to missions. We teach you to tithe as an individual. We want you to know that your church tithes as well. And so we've given hundreds of thousands to missions. Just last week, listen to this, just last week, it was the largest non-holiday service that we have ever had in the history of our church. 417 in attendance last week. But that's, but that's not all, that's not all. Listen, in the back we had 81 kids, 81. I mean, come on, we're gonna need a bigger building to fit all those kids in, amen? Just this year in 2021, I just want you to see this, is that every year is the best year right? I mean, 2016 was the best year. 2017 was the best year, but it got better in 2018. It got better in 2019. 2020 don't count, but 2021 (laughs) has been the best year ever for the history of our church. We've had 88 new people go through next steps here this year in 2021. We have had 71 new members on our serve team. Come on, somebody. 71 new serve team. This is, this is the one that I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about. As our staff and our leadership team has continued to grow, we've been able to invest into certain ministries that have been overlooked in our church. And since we brought on Ethan Berwick as our discipleship coordinator, listen, here's what happened. Our small groups, 60% of our church is in a small group. Come on. Let me hear you. Hey, let me hear my small group people. You're a small group? Come on, let me just hear you right now. Small groups are amazing. And as a church, we have grown from year to date, from January to today in December by 30% this year alone. Come on, isn't that an incredible? And here's what I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to show you that God is taking us from where we're at moving us to where he wants us to be. Now, considering all those things, does that mean that it's time for us just to hang out and give up? We've been growing. I mean, people keep meeting Jesus. People keep getting saved. People keep showing up to the church. I guess our work is done here. I guess there's nothing left for us to do. We can just go hang out, sing Kumbaya, drink umbrella drinks on the beach, and just have a, have a, have a good old time, right? I mean, we'll just be singing, singing hymns until Jesus comes back. Can we do that? No. Why? Because the best is yet to come. That 2022 is going to be the best year ever in the history of our church because God wants to move us from where we're at to where he wants us to be. That God always has more in store for us. God wants more. God can do more. We serve a God of increase. This is what God wants to do for us in the life of our church. That he wants to move us from where we're at to what? To what? To where he wants us to be. This is the story that's taking place in the book of Joshua. As we read to the very end of the book of Joshua, what we're going to see is the, the farewell address. 
Throughout this entire study, we've seen Joshua being called from Moses' assistant to being the leader over the nation of Israel. Joshua 1, be strong and courageous, for I am going to give you this land. Joshua 2, we see him send spies to Jericho. Joshua chapter 3, they walk past the river Jordan. We see him take the city of Jericho, march around it seven times, blow a trumpet, lift up a shout of praise, and those walls fall down. We have seen Joshua have battle and Joshua fight. We've seen Joshua in war. We've seen Joshua earn the respect and the influence amidst his congregation. We've seen him pray dangerous, crazy prayers, sun stand still prayers. We've seen God move in miracles. God do mighty things. And here's where we're at today. The land has been conquered. The giants have been defeated. The inheritance is theirs. They are in the promised lands. God has literally moved them from where they were to now they are exactly where God wants them to be. That's what God wants to do in your life and for us here in the life of the church. And so here's what Joshua does. Joshua closes out the book by casting vision to what type of people they're going to be. And this week is probably your favorite Bible verse. It's probably the most popular Bible verse in all of the book of Joshua. Do you know what it is? But as for me and my house, what's going to happen? We will serve the Lord. He says, choose this day. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to worship? Settle in your heart, determine it in your soul, make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? But as for me and my house, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna serve the Lord. And I just find it so fascinating in God's providence that we get to teach this verse on this day. Does anybody know what day today is? Heart for the house Sunday. And what does Joshua say? Joshua shares his heart for the house. And so as we wrap up with Joshua casting vision, I would just like to take a moment and cast some vision to us as a church because I've already told you where we are at, but I wanna show you where we are going and where God is leading us as a church. So if you haven't heard, guess what? We bought a building, come on. But not just any building, my man. We bought an entire city block in downtown Beaumont. Let's go. It's better than we could ever even imagine. How many of you, do you guys wanna see? Do you guys wanna see the first drafts and the renderings of what this new building's gonna be like? Come on, let's take a look at it. Let me show, let me show a picture right here. Look at that. That, my friends, is what people are gonna see. And here's, here's what's so incredible, that our church, our vision statement is to be a gospel center movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life changed through Jesus in the heart of the city. Listen, there's 500,000 people who live in Southeast Texas. 130,000 of them live in Beaumont. And within a 25 mile radius, anyone in Southeast Texas can be able to get here in under 30 minutes. And this new building is actually located right off of the downtown exit. People don't even have to be driving down one-way streets to find our church. They just take one exit and they are home. That's what God is doing here for us as a church. This is what people are going to see when they, when they pull up. No more people wondering, what is that building? What are those people doing there? They're going to know very clearly, Redemption Church. It's a church. Ain't no guesswork in it. We a church. And everybody's going to know when they pull up because they're going to know where to find us and where a place to call home. Look at this next slide right here. What is this? There we go. This is more renderings of what it's going to be like as people drive up, as people come forward. My vision for this church has always been this. It's always been that our church would look like heaven. 
that our church would look like heaven when it comes to generations, when it comes to races and ethnicities, that our church would look like heaven from young and old, that our church would look like heaven, but also with excellence. Right? Whenever people, whenever I want people to walk through the doors of our church and just get a little touch, just get a little taste of what heaven is going to be like so they can get excited about that. Look at the next slide. Next slide right here. That's going to be our lobby, my God. So here's, here's, our, here's our lobby. So when you walk in the doors, big life change through Jesus. First thing you see is you, as you walk in the doors, we got the message is clear. And then you'll be able to go upstairs is where our office space is gonna be. So we're actually finally gonna get to do some work around here because we got offices and it ain't everybody just sitting at the same table or me trying to work out of a kid's room. So we're actually gonna have real legitimate offices. And then right here over here, this area is gonna be our next steps facility. So this is where next steps is gonna happen. This is where people are going to find their place to serve in the church. It's where people are going to discover their spiritual gifts. It's where people are going to realize that this church is my home. We're going to be able to have um, next steps, and we're going to be able to have men's and women's meetings in the chapel area. We're going to have different parties and events. That's going to all happen right there. And I just want to just take a minute and just think for a second. I mean, what what does this lobby look like? I mean, what's going to happen here? Because you got to understand something, that we're not just giving to heart for the house to buy a building, right? Because it's bigger than a building. That's what this is about. It's not about a building. It's about building the kingdom of God. It's about creating space for people to have an encounter with the living God. This is about creating a church where people who are far from God can come home and be welcomed and accepted. It's about creating a church where prodigal sons and daughters, they return to a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus. And that starts right here in this lobby. I mean, I hear story after story. Just last year around this time, we had a young man who came in and as he walked through the doors of the church and, and he got connected and started shaking hands, he came up and he said, he said, Pastor, this was my last time to ever come to church. I was willing to give God one more shot and he's still a part of our church today because of a conversation in a lobby. And so when you see this, don't just see, oh, that looks nice. Look at that lobby. This is more than a lobby. And when you're giving to Heart for the House today, you're giving more than just to a building. You're giving to the handshakes that are going to happen here. You're giving to the hope that is going to be found right here. You're giving towards the, 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 the families who are, their daughters and their sons are going to be running around with donut on their face. That's what you're giving to right here. You're, you're giving to more than that. You're giving to marriages being reconciled. You're giving to addictions that are being broken. You're giving to mental health being restored. You're given to more than just a building. You're giving to build the kingdom of God. And you don't know how many, how many people are going to meet their future spouse in that lobby. Come on. It could happen. It could happen, but that's, that's what happens. It's so much more than just a building. I hear a bunch of ladies over here saying, let it be so, Jesus. What about this face right here? Check this face out. This is where God has taken us. That's our kids' ministry right now. So, so some of you might be wondering, you're like, well, Pastor Byron, if we're going to be moving into the entire block, what's going to happen with the current space we're at? Guess what? It's all going to be transformed into next-gen kids' ministry space. Every... Every single thing that is currently here right now is all going to become next-gen ministry. And so our children are actually going to be having church in here maybe this time next year. 
That's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, if we have 81 kids in the back and we keep growing, we're going to have 100 first through fifth graders running around in here come maybe this time next year. That entire lobby space going to be renovated into age-specific children's ministry. So we're not going to be just doing just pre-K two to five-year-olds anymore. Two-year-olds get a room. Three-year-olds get a room. Four-year-olds get a room. So that way ministry can be targeted towards age and stage and maturity level for each child as they continue to develop. That's amazing. That's incredible. Why? Because the vision statement of our church has always been every man, woman, and child. Because we ain't babysitting your kids here. We're raising world changers. That's what we're doing. We're raising up the next generation who one day we're going to hand this church off to them. That your sons, your kids, your daughters, one day they're going to be sitting here 20 years from now and they're going to be hearing a Heart for the House sermon because you gave today. They're going to have an opportunity in 20 years to be able to make that same difference and impact in another's life. We got to stop thinking week to week. We got to start thinking legacy. We got to start thinking generational when it comes to our giving. Because this is the future of the church right here in this room. And there's going to be a safe area for the kiddos to come and have check-ins. So the next slide is our kids' check-in station. So a whole hallway is going to just go directly into next gen. And then on Wednesday nights, we will be launching a youth ministry. And so Redemption Youth will be happening here. They'll have their own space. There won't be any competition between student ministry and other departments and other ministries. On Wednesday night, dedicated space for our youth to be able to have their very own services as well. And so I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor Byron, if all that's going to be happening in here, then where are we going to be having church? How are we going to have church, right? Where are we going to be having church? Great question. You can go sit outside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here's actually the blueprints of what the church is going to be look like. So this whole space right here, right here that we have unaccessed to, currently we are renting 7,000 square feet. Okay, so we pay about $7,000 a month in rent currently, but we just purchased the building and it's not 7,000. It's actually over 20,000 square feet in this entire city block. So I'm not good at math, but that's more than what we currently have. <laughs> and that whole area is going to become a sanctuary that's going to be able to seat about 500 to 550 people who are going to be able to come and hear the gospel message who are going to be able to come and find freedom and to discover purpose and to experience life change through Jesus. And I'm just believing that that place is going to be filled up. We're going to have two services, three services. We might even move to five services in the first year. And all the worship team said, ah. <laughs> but that's what God's doing. And let me just give you a snapshot of what that auditorium is going to look like as we get ready. Look at this. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's incredible. And someone posted on Facebook and said, what's your heart for the house? They said, my heart for the house is a heart for my seat. I need a new seat, pastor. Can I get some new chairs? Can we get some new chairs? Hey, guess what? If you give today heart for the house, you can get some new chairs. But that's what God's doing. And here's what he's doing. He's moving us from what? From where we are to where he wants us to be. Over these last five years, what we, we, we've seen is that God has continually been shaping us, molding us, maturing us, growing us, and getting us to a place to where we're finally ready to receive the blessings he's always had for us. 
God wants to move you from where you are to where you, he wants you to be. This is the story of Joshua, that they've gone from, from the desert to the dream. They've gone, from, they've gone from desert sands to the promised land. Right? They've gone from the wilderness to the promise. They've gone from where they were to where God wants them to be. And so now as we get to the end of the study in the book of Joshua, we're going to see Joshua give them a challenge. Joshua is going to give them a farewell address. He's going to motivate them. He's going to encourage them to not give up, to not give in. But he's going to tell them something. Choose this day. What is that? That is a decision they must make. He's going to tell them, who are you going to be? What type of congregation are you going to be? What type of people are you going to be? He's basically telling them, choose this day. He's saying, you're going to need to make up your mind. So if you have your Bible, turn me to Joshua chapter 24. The sermon title today is called Make Up Your Mind. That was my introduction. Welcome to redemption. <laughs> and we're going to see Joshua challenge his people. And I want to close this study with the same challenge that Joshua issues to his people. And I want us to take this in consideration for us. What does it mean for us to be a church. What kind of church are we going to be? Because what happens if we get everything that we prayed for and we're ungrateful? Because what's going to happen is if God answers everything that we've done and he fulfills the vision that we have and we inherit the land, but we don't steward the land. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if we get uh, a thousand people who walk through these doors, but we forget who we are, we forget what got us here, and we forget that it's really about love and it's not just about a building? What's going to happen to us as a church if we get a slick LED wall, but we don't know how to have a conversation with somebody in that brand new lobby? What's going to happen is we take these things for granted and we lose our hearts along the way. That's why he says, choose this day whom you are going to serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we do not serve the Lord, then we've lost our heart for this house. And so Joshua, he challenges the nation of Israel. So let's read it all up front and we'll kind of work our way through the text right here. Joshua, he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the leaders and the, to the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, he's gathered them together. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. So they were pagans. They were not following the God of the Bible. They were serving other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and I led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and said to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau and I, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. As I'm reading this, I want you to notice how many times God says, I gave this to you. Wow. How many times God says, I did this for you. Listen, he said, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. What I did in the midst of it afterwards, I brought you out of it. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots, with horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and he made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you out of that land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and who gave the victory? 
I gave, God says, I gave it into your hand and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hands, and you went to the Jordan and came to Jericho. The leaders of Jericho, they fought against you, and the Amorites and the Pezrites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the enemies like termites and cellulites, and I gave them into your hands. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow, but I gave this land on which you have not labored for and the cities that you have not built, and now you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. This is the, the story of Joshua. But it's not just Joshua's story, it's all of their story. It's the, it's the history of the nation of Israel. Joshua is basically preaching a sermon in chapter 24, and it's very similar to the introduction that I just gave you. What is Joshua doing? He's telling them where they're at. He's telling them where they come from. He's telling them what they've accomplished, and he's telling them what God has done for them in their history. He starts all the way back with, with Abraham. He says, God came to Abraham, and he was a pagan. And God saved him and God rescued him and God gave him a promise that he would be a blessing to many nations and that he would have offspring. And through that offspring, we would meet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau, and we're learning the history of the nation of Israel. And then, and, and then, and then Joseph goes down back into Egypt and after 400 years, they become slaves in bondage to Egypt and to the wicked King Pharaoh. And through that, God raised up the prophet Abraham, prophet Moses who comes with the, to deliver his people as the redeemer and leads them through the Red Sea. And just when it seemed like all hope was lost, God parts the Red Sea. It comes crashing down. They are free. They are ransomed. They are rescued. And as God leads them through that wilderness season with a cloud of day by cloud of fire by day and with a, or a, a pillar of smoke by day and a cloud of fire by night. Their shoes never even run out. They don't even have to buy new clothes over 40 years because God's providing for them. God is moving in power before them. God's presence goes with them everywhere. He's leading them into the promised land that he has for them. And then we meet Joshua. Joshua comes in as the assistant and God's saying, do you remember when you were afraid and anxious and I told you to be strong and courageous and I got the hearts of the people to believe in you as their leader and then he leads them through Jericho. He leads them through the river Jordan. We see that there are seven nation armies that are greater and bigger than themselves and yet Joshua, he defeats all of them. We see Joshua get the victory. We see the giants are slayed. We see the territory has been taken and the inheritance is theirs. God leads them all the way to this moment. And Joshua's probably feeling pretty good, huh? Joshua's probably thinking, we made it. We climbed the mountain. We're at the pinnacle. We are at the peak of success. And just like how you're applauding in the beginning of the sermon, I bet the people of Israel, they were applauding too. Yeah, yeah, these are exciting times. And they are exciting times. But here's what Joshua understands. Joshua understands something is that exciting times can also be very dangerous times. Do you know why? Because, because they might be tempted to think that they did it on their own. 
They might be tempted to think that it was them who defeated the enemy, that it was them who took possession of the land. They may be tempted to think that they did it on their own, that pride can creep in, that arrogance can creep in, confidence can begin to creep in, but here's what's worse, complacency begins to creep in. Comfortability begins to creep in. And here's what I want you to know is this, is that, is that the greatest threat to future success is your current success. Think about that for a sec. The greatest threat to any future success, success in your business, success in your marriage, success in your relationships, success for us as a church, the greatest threat to future success is your current success. Say, well, what do I mean by that? Because when you get to a point like this, you stop trying. You say, well, what's the point of fighting? Because I've already won. There's no more fight left within you. There's no more battle left within you. There's no more reason for you to live by your convictions anymore. I mean, why do you need to pray for anything when you can go out and buy it for yourself? I mean, why why do you need to work for anything, right? Why do you need to try anything? Why do you need to keep inviting other people to church whenever you already got the perfect church? You're like, all these new people come in and mess up my church. My church was perfectly fine until you showed up. Now somebody's sitting in my seat. I can't get a good parking space. Takes 10 minutes for me to check my kids in. I mean, every time I just turn around, there's new people. Why? Because our success has caused us to become complacent. That we've lost the urgency. We've lost the will to fight and the desire to live on mission because we're nice and safe and comfortable and we have everything we need. Why do we have to fight? We're living in the promised land. And so here's what Joshua does. Joshua closes out, and the final battle in the book of Joshua is not against the Amorites. It's not against the Hittites. It's not against the the, the Gervishites. You know who it is? It's against complacency. The final battle, the last war is waged on apathy. It's waged against complacency. It's waged against getting to this place to where you think you got it all figured out and there's nothing left for you to do because you have it made already. If that attitude creeps in here as a church, then the church begins to decline and eventually the church is going to die. Why? Because the greatest threat to any future success is our current success. I mean, if we get into this building and we think, oh, we got the building. I guess I don't have to invite friends anymore. I guess I don't have to tithe anymore. I guess we don't have to, you know, serve anymore. We don't need to come up here at eight o'clock and set up or tear down. And I don't need to come to the men's meeting because we finally made it. We finally got the building. If that is what you think, you're wrong. Because God's not done. God's actually just getting started with us. And we cannot allow our current success to negate the future success that God wants for us to do. And so I'm trying to motivate you. I'm trying to challenge you to not fall victim or prey into the same mindset trap that the nation of Israel fell into. That just because they inherited the promised land doesn't mean that they have to still serve and follow God. They trusted him in the wilderness. They trusted all throughout Joshua. But Joshua chapter 24, he speaks to them and challenges them and says, you've trusted God up to this point. Are you going to remain faithful and continue to trust him once you've gotten every answer to prayer that you've ever actually prayed for? The greatest threat to future success is your current success. And so let me just say something right now. We're waging war against complacency for us as a church. And so I'm just going to speak, I'm just going to speak something, right? This is a state of the state of union address from Joshua. It's my state of the union address to us as a congregation. 
right? If you're here at Redemption Church and you come to this church just because you think it's the nice, cool church, we're probably the wrong church for you. If you think you're going to come here just so that way you can be served and not serve anybody, that you can be that you you can be a consumer without actually contributing, that you can just sit on the sidelines and not actually be a part of this game, I just want to tell you we're probably not that church for you because we are going to rub you the wrong way because every time you walk through this door, somebody's going to be inviting you to next steps. And you're going to get tired of telling us no. And eventually, you're either going to join the church or you're going to leave the church because that's just the kind of church that we're going to be. Right? We're just not this safe, comfortable, and, and church that has no urgency. Why? Because there are people every single day who are dying and going to hell. There is no room for us just to sit back and wait for Jesus to return. No, we are the church. We are the hope of the world. And it's our job and our mission and it's our place to be able to tell the good news of a loving Savior. We're the type of church that plunders hell and populates heaven. That's the type of church that we are. We are not a hotel as a church. No, this church is a hospital for the broken and for the sick and for the dying to be able to receive healing. This church is not a cruise ship where we sit back and we just sip my ties until our time comes up. We ain't no cruise ship. We're a battleship. And all the men here know it's time to put your boots on because that's the kind of church that we are going to be. That's who we are. We are not a statistic. Our church is not a statistic. And our church is not a museum for holy people to come in and look good and sit behind your glass boxes and containers. This is not a museum. This church is a movement, and we ain't just any movement. We're a gospel center movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. That's who we are. And we will not allow our current success to rob us of any future success that God wants to bring to us as a church. So if you have your Bibles, that was my second introduction, Joshua chapter 24. Let me give you three things real quick that we learned from this, from this section of scripture. The first thing is this, is that if you want to leave a legacy, then it takes contemplation. Here's what he's doing. He's challenging his people to remember where they come from. Because if you forget where you come from, you will never get where you're going. Listen, if you forget your past, here's what's going to happen. You're going to repeat your past. I see it all of the time. I wish it wasn't true, but it's very true. I, I see it all the time. I see people who come into the church broken, come into the church looking for hope, maybe looking for relationships. They walk through the door, meet Jesus, get on a team, maybe find a group. They start serving three months, six months later, all of a sudden they're gone because they finally get their head up above water and able to breathe. And then other things come in and steal their attention and begin to steal their devotion. And eventually they just wander away. Why? Because they forgot what God has done to them in their past. They have forgotten who they are. And so they'll never get where God wants them to go. If you forget your past, you are destined to repeat the past. I see this happen all the time. And if that's you, I want you to know, welcome. I love you. I'm glad that you're here. Our church is old enough now where people who have left are now starting to come back. And if that's you, there is no shame or judgment. I'm just happy you're here. I haven't stopped praying for you since the day that you left. But I am so glad that you're back. But just don't forget where you come from or you might end up right back there again. But don't feel bad because this is actually the story of everybody. This is the story of God's people in the Bible. That I would love to tell you that in Joshua, it closes on a good note. 
I would love to tell you that after Joshua died, they all lived happily ever after and never had any sin or ever any problems and then ever went back to living in their old ways. But that's just not true. Because the very next book, the Bible, Judges, is probably the most darkest period in all of God's people's history. And here's what it says, following the death of Joshua, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You think, how is it possible for, for, for people who saw the miracles, saw the signs, saw the wonders, had the provision that God did for them to eventually go back to serving false gods and not even understanding and knowing who the God of the Bible was. How is that? It's because they forgot their history. Yeah. It's because they forgot their past. It's because they forgot where they came from. And if you forget the past, you'll be destined to repeat the past. Remember where you were when God saved you. Remember the moment that, you, that God met you. Remember what God has done in your life and then begin to pay it forward into other people's lives. You gotta think and slow down and contemplate what God has done. The second thing is it takes confrontation. Therefore, the fear of the Lord, serve him in all sincerity and faithfulness. Put away gods from your fathers that they serve beyond the river in Egypt and they serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, what does he say? Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us with our fathers in the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did great signs in the sight and preserved us all the way when we went out among the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord who drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land, therefore we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Verse 19, Joshua says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is holy. What is he doing here? He is stopping them from just giving lip service without actually thinking about what they're committing themselves to. People are like, I, I'm going to serve the Lord. Are you so sure about that? Yeah. Are you really sure about that? You're saying, but I'm ready to serve the Lord. I, don't, I want you to think about it for a minute. Don't make a commitment that you're not willing to live according to. And so what he's doing, he's, he's confronting the nation of Israel. He goes on through the rest of this section. But what he's really getting at is this. He's getting at his major concern, that his concern for the nation of Israel is that they would follow God with lip service, but not actually with their lifestyle. You know there's a difference, right? There's a lot of people who have lip service, but they don't have lifestyle. They say one thing, but they do something else. What he's trying to warn them about is this. He's trying to stop them from worshiping God in public and worshiping false gods in private. He, he's, he's challenging them. Choose this day who it is that you are going to serve, who it is that you are going to worship. And that's Joshua's fear. And I'll be honest with you, as your pastor, that's my fear. That's my fear for us as a church. My fear for us as a church is that we'd worship God on Sunday and then we'd worship someone or something else on Monday through Friday. That, that we would come and if the only time we spend time in God's presence is on Sunday morning, it's because we're spending time in other presences throughout the rest of the week. 
My, my biggest fear and my biggest concern is that we would create a church that is all lip service, but is no life change and is no lifestyle. That we would have people who are raised in church, can quote a couple of verses, and they're a little religious, but their life reflects nothing about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God throughout the rest of the week. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. He's challenging them. He's telling them, I want for you to make a decision. And here's what Joshua's getting at. And here's what I'm getting at. And I want you to understand this, that if Christ is not Lord of all of your life, then he's not Lord at all in your life. You can't just give God half of your heart. You can't just give God half of your soul. No, it's all in. It's total devotion, full-hearted. It's full-throated. You trust God with every aspect and part of your being. It's not, well, I give God my Sundays, and then Monday gets work, and Tuesday night's t-ball practice, and Wednesday night's drinking with the boys. No, here's what it is. It is God gives all of my life, that I give him all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul. I am all in. If Christ is not Lord of all of your life, then you have to really consider, is Christ Lord at all in your life? At all. Listen, my nana used to tell me this story about a man who was sitting on a fence and that on this fence, on one side of the fence was the kingdom of God and on the other side of the fence was this world. And his friends would come up and he said, hey, come join me in the kingdom. And he said, no, 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 because I I like the things of this world. But I, I like looking at the kingdom. I like looking at the blessings of God but I still like the things of this world. And so I'm not ready to get down off the fence. And so his friends from the world would come over and say, hey, come live with us. Come live with us out of the world. He said, no, 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 I don't want to get too close to you because I I don't want to go where you're going. I still want to go to heaven. And so I'm going to hang out here on the fence. And then Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, come follow me. And he says, I'm just not ready yet. I'm going to hang out here on the fence. And then Satan comes up and he says, hey, come follow me. And he says, no, I don't want to go with you. And Satan says, that's okay, I'll own the fence. If you live your life on the fence, it doesn't matter how close you are to the kingdom of God, you will never experience it. There has to be a place to where you just go all in, where you just say, God, I'm yours. God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna give you my heart. I'm gonna give you my life. I'm gonna give you myself. I'm gonna believe your word. I'm gonna live according to your promises. God, I'm all in. There just has to be a moment in your life where you get off the fence and you go all in. Because at the end of the day, Satan owns the fence. Jesus says it like this. The dangers of a half heart is that it's really no hearted at all. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I would rather you hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Joshua's concern for his people is that they would become lukewarm in their devotions. My concern for us as a church is that we would become lukewarm when it comes to following Jesus, that we would lose the passion of the day that we met him, that we would lose the remembrance of the miracles that he's done and all the provisions that he's had to get us to this point. My greatest fear for us as a church is we would be able to know Bible verses, but we would not be able to live them out in our lives. That's what I'm concerned about. And that's the dangers of living in a half heart. And so what Joshua is doing is he is confronting his people. Choose this day whom you serve. And there's a couple of ways that he confronts us. The first thing he does is this, is he confronts us with the command. What does he say? Fear the Lord. What does that mean, fear the Lord? It means reverence. It means respect. It means to be at awe with God. It means that he is in a position of priority in your life. 
And when anyone or anything takes the position of God, guess what? That's your new God. This is why he's saying, watch out for idols. Don't go serve the false gods of the land. Trust in the only living God and live your life by the fear of the Lord. Listen, you're a worshiper. Everyone is made to worship. We are worshipers. That's what we do. We give glory to things. That's all worship is, is glory and sacrifice. What do you glory in? What do you sacrifice for? That's what you worship. So in your life, if, if, if you're sacrificing your glory, is, is towards your kids or towards your family or towards your job, and those things begin to take the place of God in your life, then you've made that into an idol. Whatever it might be, hobbies, extracurricular activities, it could be sports. I mean, the three biggest idols that I see in America is family. People put their, position, their kids in a position of glory, and your child cannot handle that. It will break them if you put your child in the place of God in your life. Because, because children are gift from gods, they are not to be worshiped as gods. And so we gotta make sure that we keep our kids, however cute and crazy they drive us, in the proper place, or they're not gonna be able to be able to know who God is because they'll think they're God. And we're gonna raise an entire generation filled with narcissists who don't know how to respect anybody else. The second thing I see is, is sexuality. And here's where it gets so dangerous is this, is you become like what you worship. The pinnacle of human creation is the body. That's the way God stepped back and said, it is very good. And so when we worship with our sexuality, no wonder it becomes our identity. Because your idolatry becomes your identity and you become like what you worship. And so through hookups and shackups and pornography and all the different things that are happening sexually in the culture and the climate that we live in, it becomes a God to people's lives. And the other thing is this, just straight up politics. Every four years we see people's gods resurrect and die. That CNN and Fox News becomes your prophets, that their, 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 their channel and their platform becomes your Bible, and then that candidate rises and falls and they become your savior. You're looking for politics. Listen, Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is our king. And our residency is here in America, but our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? And here, here's what happens is when we allow these things to take the wrong place, it leads to a wrong place in our hearts as well. Second thing we see is that he has a choice. Choose this day whom you're gonna serve. I can't make this choice for you though. You must make this decision for yourself. This is a choice that you must make. He's dropping the gauntlet. He's laying it down. Choose this day who you are going to serve. Listen, you will not be saved by your parents' faith. You will not be saved by your friend's faith. You will not be saved based simply on a decision you made when you're eight years old because you felt guilty at youth camp. You will not be saved by your denomination. You will not be saved by your parents' faith. Your, your faith, parents will not save your children. Every single one of us, we we must make a choice with our own lives. Are we going to serve God? Are we going to worship God? Are we going to give ourselves to him or are we gonna walk away from him? Who are you going to serve? Make up your mind. And the prophet Isaiah says, today is the day of salvation. I mean, so many young men who say, I believe in God, but I'm not ready to go to church till I'm 30. 
I want to get married. I want to hang out. I want to graduate college. I want to live my life. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to have some fun. And then maybe after I link all these things up, I'll marry a nice woman who drags me to church. Foolishness. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day to make this decision. Today is the day for you to make up your mind. It's not five years from now. It's not two weeks from now. Today is the day of salvation. You gotta make a choice. Which leads to three, he confronts us with the challenge. Aren't you grateful for men like Joshua, for leaders like Joshua who are willing to stand up for the truth and to be able to speak with authority and with conviction in their voice? This is what he says. He says, but if it's evil to serve the Lord, walk away. Don't even bother. Don't waste your time. Choose this day who it is that you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, here's something I want you to understand is this is that soft words make hard hearts, but hard words make soft hearts. We need people in our lives who are gonna confront us. We, We need people in our lives who are gonna convict us and challenge us. We need people in our lives because if everybody in your life just says, you're amazing all the time, you're just so special and wonderful and there's nothing wrong with you. Come on, that ain't true. We all know there's something wrong with you. We all know that there's something inside of us that needs to change and that we need to grow and there's things that we need to get rid of. We need friends and we need a church and we need a small group who's gonna look us in the eye and says, hey, I love you so much. Let me just speak truth to you right now. Let me speak some life to you right now because if you continue making these decisions, I'm really worried about your future. And we're not confronting you because we're angry at you or mad at you. We're actually doing it because we love you. And if we didn't love you, we wouldn't confront you. And if we didn't love you, then we wouldn't challenge you because we believe the best in your life. And we believe that God has something great for your life. And right now, you're not making very wise decisions. And so we're helping you right now. We need people like that who are going to confront us, who are willing to speak hard words. Because why? Hard words make soft hearts. But if we surround ourselves with people who just feed into our pride, it's gonna create a hard heart in our lives because we're not gonna know how to receive truth. And so Joshua, as, his, as the pastor of the Israelites, he speaks some hard words. And for me, as your pastor, sometimes it requires for me to speak hard words. And this is the reason that we preach straight through books of the Bible. And so as we close out the book of Joshua, it's been an encouraging series. It's been a motivating series for us. I mean, one person I talked to, they're like, man, this series is strange because I haven't really felt convicted most of the time. I just leave feeling in a good mood and I want to pray more. And I'm like, that's the goal. Because if all you're doing is speaking hard words all the time, you're probably a jerk. (laughs) But it's good to be encouraged. It's good to be motivated. It's good to be challenged. Because hard words create soft hearts. And so here's where we're going as we close the book of Joshua. You guys enjoyed the series of Joshua? Here's how we close it out. So as we wrap up this sermon, starting in the book of, starting in the book of January, starting in the month of January, we're going to be doing a series called Everyday Saints, a study through the book of Colossians. We're going to be studying the preeminency of Christ and how it applies to our everyday lives. And we're gonna keep preaching on first Wednesdays. We're starting a series through the book of Psalms called Honest to God. And we're gonna be talking about how to pray through the book of Psalms. And then over the summer, we're looking at doing first and second Kings in a series called How to Ruin Your Life. (laughs) Learning from other people's 
biggest mistakes and how we can apply that to our lives. We're just gonna preach the Bible here at Redemption because God's word brings growth. God's word encourages, inspires us, and motivates us because we all know that as a church, it takes three things to leave a legacy. Contemplation, it takes confrontation, and then lastly, number three, it takes consecration. Say, what's consecration? As the Joshua closes, consecration means to set yourself apart and to become holy. Say, so how did Joshua see the things that he saw in his life? Because he was devoted to God. Because he didn't hold anything back. Because he was set apart. That's the reason why Joshua was able to see the things that Joshua saw. And so as we close this sermon, I told you at the beginning, I gave you dozens of reasons why you should give to Heart for the House. But here's, here's my why for Heart for the House. It's my, my daughter Esther's son. Can you throw up there? That's my daughter. What is she doing? She's on the serve team. My daughter just turned five years old. And she's like, Daddy, I'm five. Does that mean I can join the serve team? <laughs> and so at our Turkey Day giveaway, she came up here and she served with us as a church. And then my daughter's five years old and she's carrying a turkey about as big as her. <laughs> and I watched her put that turkey in the backseat of another person's car. And you know what I thought? I thought, that's my legacy right there. That's, that's my daughter. And what does she have? She has a heart to serve the church. She's learning about the things of God. She's learning about these things. And this is what Joshua is all about. It's about living for a legacy. It's about us as parents, us as individuals, us as adults, creating a church that we're gonna hand off to our kids. And as the book of Joshua closes, what is he doing? He's handing the church off to the next generation of leaders. Listen, I want you to understand something. Every single one of you, whether single or married, one day you're going to hand this church off to somebody else. And what I want for us all is to set them up for success and to set them up for a win. I want us to remember why we got started in the first place. Because I heard a great preacher the other day, and here's what he said. He said this, if you forget your why, you'll lose your way. Do you know who that was? Trevor Knox. <laughs> when you lose your why, you, you lose your way. The nation of Israel is in a dangerous place because they're really close to losing their why. But for us as a church, we always need to recognize this, is if we forget our why, we will lose our way. Because if we buy this new building and we forget what it means to love people, if we forget what it means to serve, if we forget what it means to care, if we forget what it means to live in community and to be the friendliest church in Southeast Texas, then guess what happens? We will eventually lose our way and it doesn't matter because that's not the church I want my daughter to grow up in. So as you get ready to give, as you get ready to take communion, as we close out the book of Joshua, I want you to just really consider where you're at and where God wants to take you in your life. And as you journey along those Jericho roads and as you face those giants and you come against those big battles, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to lose why you got started because if you lose your why, then eventually you will begin to lose your way. And for us as a church, if we lose why, then as a church, we will also lose our way. So just like Joshua, he says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. So I'm asking you, Redemption, what kind of church are we going to be? What kind of church are we going to have here in this city? What does the future of redemption look like? Here's, here's what it looks like. It looks like 
it looks like you. Whatever your heart looks like, that's what our church will look like. Someone asked me, they said, how long can you keep this up? Everything's growing and getting better every, every year. How long can it keep it up? And here's what I told him. I said, we can do it as long as our people keep their heart right. As long as you keep your heart right, there is no stopping what God wants to do in this church. So are you with me? Invite the ushers forward.